Hey, well, welcome to Journey Church. My name is Chal Knox. Uh, Chal is short for Charles. It's spelled C-H-A-L. It's a nickname I've had since I was a kid. I'm Charles III, and so uh, my grandfather was Charlie. My dad was Chuck, and they made up a nickname when they got to me because all the nicknames were already taken. So I've been Chal since I was a kid. Uh, my wife, Holly, and I attended church here um, actually for several years back when it was Woodford uh, Christian Community Christian Church. Um, and I uh, enjoyed being a part of this congregation. And then in 2004, God led us to plant a Spanish-speaking church in the community of Cardinal Valley in Lexington. Many of you know Cardinal Valley. Uh, after about 12 years of hard work and, and really seeing God do some amazing things, uh, I began to see that issues, uh, things like immigration and um, global poverty, some of these things are, are really not just things that need to be dealt with at the local level, but also systemic issues. And at the same time, God opened the door for me to become involved in Lemonade International and to lead the team there. Uh, Lemonade International is a nonprofit organization that works in the largest urban slum in Central America, in Guatemala City. The name Lemonade comes from the name of the community, La Limonada, in Guatemala City. La Limonada is a community of 60,000 to 100,000 people. Uh, I mentioned a couple weeks ago when I came, uh, many of them live in a home about the size of this carpet here, uh, very small area, uh, really packed in. It's an, it's an urban slum, so the kind of poverty they deal with is different than out in the country. Um, about 40,000 of the people in Limonada are kids, and they live in some of the most difficult situations in the world. It's a, pa- a place of both deep affliction as well as great beauty. And uh, I'd like to share a little bit with you this morning about La Limonada and what God is doing there, and then how you can be a part of it. Over the last few weeks as I've been preparing for this message, two different family members I'm close to uh, had a very similar and difficult experience, and they both lost, both lost their jobs. That was just two weeks before Christmas. Uh, although I haven't had the opportunity to help them get a new job, I have had the opportunity to talk to them, to walk with them through the this, this situation, the discouragement, the confusion, to pray for them, and to help them see what God might have next for them. Um, Maybe you've been in a similar situation where you've gone through a difficult time. Maybe you've needed someone to go to bat for you. Have you ever needed someone to go to bat for you to encourage you through a valley or through a dark time? Maybe you needed a job and that that person made a phone call for you that got you a face-to-face interview with your future boss. Uh, Maybe you'd done something wrong, maybe a a coworker, a friend, a, a pastor, someone to come alongside you and, and talk to the person that you had wronged and, and got you the opportunity to get a second chance. Um, maybe you were trying to land a date with that person that really intrigued you and someone came alongside of you, a friend, and connected you with that person. And um, Maybe as your friend stepped in, you're actually sitting next to that person today. Uh, just a few days ago, I talked with one of those guys that lost a job and he told me, I don't know what the future holds, but I do know that I can see it with hope now. And maybe that's ultimately what we need most. We all need someone to go to bat for us. We all need someone who can help us see the future with hope. But what if someone else going to bat for you wasn't just a difference between which job you got um, or which person you went out on that date with, but maybe instead it meant the difference between either survival or death. Um, Can you picture yourself in that situation? If someone didn't go to bat for you, you wouldn't have a roof over your head. If someone doesn't notice your need, you wouldn't be able to eat, or even worse, be able to feed your family. If someone's heart doesn't break for you and walk alongside of you, you'll never be able to break the cycle of poverty. As we saw in the the video, uh, Nicholas of Mira helped uh, the town where he lived uh, that was starving, and and then God provided a miracle through the sailors 
Uh, not only were they able to give the grain, but then when they got to the place where they were going, they had all the grain that they had started with. We're in week four of the Skinny Santa series where we've been taking a look at Nicholas of Mira before he got to the North Pole and how he can point us to Jesus. And remember, we're sharing, we've been sharing the story of Santa before he got to the North Pole, leaving the story about what happens after he got there in, in the hands of the parents where it belongs. In week one, we learned that the first gifts Santa put in people's stockings were, were bags of gold that saved the lives of three starving sisters. And we talked about asking the question, not what can I get for Christmas, but what can I give for Christmas? And in week two, we learned how Santa defended those who were being falsely accused by sprinting to their rescue to defend them and stand up for them. And we saw the gift of justice and, and how we can help those who have no voice. And then last week, we learned how Santa spoke humbly and prayed for church leaders to agree. And we saw how during Christmas, the most important thing we celebrate is the life and the light of Christ. If you'd like to rewatch those videos, you can find them uh, on Journey Church's website or Facebook, share them with your, your kids, grandkids, your friends. Um, and I want to thank you especially on, on behalf of Lemonade for uh, the generosity and the prayer that's already been poured out for us and the work that we do in Guatemala uh, and the offerings that have been received and, um, and today the final offering. Just really, really appreciate that from the bottom of our hearts at Lemonade. And today we're going to be looking at Starving Santa. And I, I love that, that video that we saw just a few minutes ago about the, the sailors being protected by the miracle, the town provided for food, and everyone praised God. Uh, that video of, of Mira and the this famine that Santa and his town found themselves in isn't just something that happened hundreds of years ago. It's something that happens today in the world. Famine, hunger, people living in abject poverty uh, all over the world today, even now, this morning. Did you know that one-third of the world's population lives on $2 a day or less, and half of that group lives on $1 a day or less? Imagine what your life would be like tomorrow if you had only $1 to survive the whole day. Or if you only had $7 to get through the entire next week, what you'd have to give up, the kinds of things you'd have to sacrifice to survive on just $7 between now and next Sunday. To the people living in these situations, having a day where they don't have to worry about food would be a welcome relief. That would be a, a huge miracle. The story of what happened in Mira is remarkable, and it's in line with so many of God's miracles in the Bible, from the providing of manna each day for the Israelites, to the feeding of the 5,000, and we love it when God shows up and he does a miracle. But here's something you might not have caught in the story or in the biblical stories that it mirrors or in the stories of our own lives. And that is that it's vitally important when we are working with big issues like this, with what God has laid on our hearts, like helping people overcome poverty or, or tackling issues like hundreds of thousands of children in foster care and, and millions of orphans all around the world. And that's that we can't just sit around and wait for God to do a miracle. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes we try to do too much in our own power and we don't leave any room for God to do his part. But other times we pray for a miracle and, and we never take a step of faith. We never step out in action. Uh, today we want to look at a story from the life of Jesus that deals with God's provision for his people, but also that deals with people being called to act in faith. We know it as a feeding of the 5,000. And what I want us to notice today is not only the miracle that God did, but also the obstacles that almost prevented the disciples from seeing what Jesus was doing right in front of him. All the excuses the disciples used to try to avoid acting in faith. Uh, if you have your Bibles, so you can look with me in, in Mark 6, 30 to 31. I want to suggest to us today that these same obstacles the disciples faced are obstacles that often stand in the way between us and what God wants to do in and through us. Mark 6, uh, verse 30 says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, 
Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. This was an inopportune time for the disciples. The first thing we see is, is how inopportune this time was for them, as well as Jesus. They were, they were physically exhausted. They had come from seeing some amazing ministry. Jesus had, had sent them out, done some incredible things with them, through them, in them. Um, but they were tired and they needed rest. And if we look back a few verses earlier in, in Mark chapter 6, we would see a second issue that John the Baptist had just been killed at the, kings of, at the hands of King Herod. This wasn't a tragic accident. This was actually a deliberate act of murder by King Herod. Remember, some of the disciples actually had followed John the Baptist before they followed Jesus. So this wasn't some distant person. This was actually somebody very close to them. So here they are at a time where they need rest. They need rest physically. They need rest emotionally. And maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe, maybe you're exhausted. Maybe you've made a, a huge Christmas dinner and people ate it up in 15 minutes, and you're just wiped out, and the house is a mess, and the family's gone, and the, the bank account is now at zero or in the negatives, and you're like, I'm, I'm done. I, I don't have any New Year's resolutions other than getting a good night's sleep and getting the house clean in the next few weeks. Uh, maybe you're tired. Maybe you've been serving relentlessly. Maybe, maybe life has hit you hard this year. Maybe you've had a, a, experienced a deep loss of someone close to you. Uh, there's no question that you have a need for rest. But maybe even in the rest that you desire and are praying for, God still is calling you to take, take a step of action, a step of faith to help others in need. So let's look at what happens as, as the disciples find themselves in this inopportune time. In verse 32, uh, 632 says, So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. This was also an interrupted peace, an interrupted peace that they were experiencing. They, the disciples had their peace interrupted. They were just starting to get comfortable where they were at, just starting to rest. And then Jesus gets his heart broken again by the crowds. The word here is compassion. That's what Jesus felt. He, he saw them and he felt compassion. I'm becoming more and more convinced that comfort is the enemy of compassion. Comfort is the enemy of compassion. This is what we want in today's world. We want to be comfortable. We want a comfortable home. We want a comfortable car. We want not just the radio, but the CD player, the Bluetooth, the wireless. We want everything to be comfortable. We want a comfortable retirement and even comfort foods. They sure hit the spot. But what if maybe today God is calling us out of that comfort? Maybe he wants to break our hearts for someone in need. What if the comfort that we seek doesn't actually satisfy us? What if the, the Bluetooth and the seat warmers and the best car in the world isn't actually something that makes us happier when we're stuck in traffic? What if the peace that we think we need isn't actually the peace that we really need? What if God wants to interrupt our peace and grow our faith and actually t teach us to rest in his peace? The idea of, of going skinny, of, of sacrificing what we, what we want now out of obedience to God, it may be the last thing we want to think about, but it might actually be the most important thing that we can do. On my first visit to La Limonada in Guatemala City, uh, it, was, it was a really unique experience. One of the local leaders took me from the Lemonade House, which is where our, our um, short-term missions teams stay, uh, our service learning teams, as we call them, and, and I got to go from the Lemonade House to La Limonada in the van, and uh, Lisa, our, our in-country host, was, was driving the van. We were talking and wasn't really paying attention. I knew it was maybe a 15, 20, 25-minute ride. Um, 
But something changed in the environment around me, and I felt it. And before Lisa even said that we're here, I knew that we were in La Limonada. And then Lisa told me, we're here, we're in La Limonada. I, I, the scenery didn't change around me, but I could feel something change. Uh, the chair of our, of our board often says, in La Limonada, the veil between the natural and the supernatural is thinner. Uh, it's, it's not that God's there and isn't other places, not that the enemy's there and isn't in other places, but there's, there's something about this place that you can, you can see God at work more clearly. You can see the enemy at work more clearly. It's not a comfortable place, but you can feel what God is doing more there. And, and maybe that's exactly what Jesus wanted his disciples to see here in the feeding of the 5,000. Maybe he wanted them to experience more of his presence at a time when they preferred to be comfortable. The story continues in verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. We might say an accent here in Kentucky, you give them something to eat. You know, like it was a challenge. It was a direct challenge to their comfort. And can you put yourself in the disciples' shoes here? Jesus is teaching and they're not hearing a word because their bellies are growling and their, their watch is ticking. Or in that time, maybe the, the sun was ticking down. They didn't have watches. But can you imagine the scowl that they probably had in their faces as, as they daydreamed about the rest and relaxation they could have been getting instead of sitting listening to Jesus teach? And then the challenge that Jesus offers to them to, for them to fix a problem instead? Maybe he was trying to teach them something bigger. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all those whose thoughts are fixed in you. Perfect peace. That's ultimately what, what, we, what we want, what really satisfies us. The disciples have been sitting around and talking and thinking there's not even a Walmart around here. Surely Jesus knows we've got to let the crowd go before they get hangry. And Jesus wanted them to experience his perfect peace that only comes from trusting in him, that only comes when our thoughts are fixed on him. Just when they think the problem is the hungry people around them, Jesus shows them it's actually the disciples' responsibility. It's, it's an inconvenient responsibility. It's not easy. And, and we see how they react in verse 37. They, they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? This would be a fair time to mention we don't always rejoice when we hear God's call upon our lives. And in fact, I'd argue our, our natural human response is to buck against God's call. Uh, I, I think if we were to take a survey we would find that there's a significant amount of time that passes before, before the first time God calls us to do some action and the time that we actually obey. That, that, that window is really a, a test of our faith and doubt. Our, our human response is, is actually to act out of our fears and our sense of inadequacy. And yet Jesus says, this is for you. The response wasn't faith. The response of the disciples, it was surprise. It was, it was logical. It was mathematical. Basically, they said it, it would take thirty dollars to $40,000 to feed all these people. So the response, of course, isn't, sure, Lord, we'll hop right on that. Just give us a year or so to come up with the funds. Often God lays a dream on our hearts, but we're so dialed in to the world and the culture and the reality around us that, that the dream ends up getting crushed. We have to be careful to discern what our responsibility is and what God's responsibility is. E. Stanley Jones of Asbury University often quoted St. Ignatius of Loyola saying, we pray as if God's in charge, and we work as if we're in charge. Pray as if God's in charge, and work as if we're in charge. 
Uh, Only God can change our hearts, but it's our responsibility once he shows up to take the steps of faith to move forward in action. I just want to share a little bit about sponsorship and what sponsorship means at Lemonade International. Um, by, by choosing to sponsor a child, which is one of the, one of the best ways that we connect people in the U.S. with, with kids in, in Central America, in Guatemala, one of the most meaningful and deepest ways that, that we can make a difference. It provides a nutritious meal every single day to these kids. Uh, before they show up to school, they get a, a great hot meal. They get fried eggs and black beans and bread and vitamins. They get medical care and they get attention to their personal hygiene um, even something like personal hygiene matters so much because most of these kids, many of them don't even have running water in their homes. And so getting a chance to brush their teeth and wash their hands is actually a big deal. And these are habits that will stick with them for the rest of their lives and help them long after uh, they graduate from high school and college. Uh, they get academic support. Uh, many of these kids will, will not even get to kindergarten uh, living in La Limonada, uh, but they get academic support every single day, Monday through Friday, in the schools and academies that we have. Um, they get counseling from a trained Christian psychologist. Uh, as many of you know, kids living in, in situations of extreme poverty and, and uh, abject poverty like this, the abuse is very high. And so these kids suffer not just physically, uh, they suffer emotionally, suffer spiritually. And so they have an opportunity to talk to a Christian psychologist on staff in, in every single one of our academies. Um, kids get all this for $80 a month. That's what sponsorship is an investment of, is $80 a month. Um, and the most important thing is they get access to the life-giving Word of God. Uh, they're around Christian teachers and Christian leaders. There's a chaplain on staff uh, who works with the kids and their parents. Um, and this is so important because gang life is so tempting. Uh, there are gangs around these kids that are actively recruiting them to be in their gangs, and it's one of the most meaningful ways in terms of in the flesh to, to be a part of a community is for them to join a gang. Um, our goal is not just physical, emotional, and academic well-being, but also gang prevention. We want to keep kids from joining the gang life around them so they can go to live a full and productive life in Christ. Uh, we also sponsor scholars. So not only do sponsored kids receive care and food during the week at their local academy, but they also long-term can apply for our scholars program and can end up attending high school and college. So we kind of have two main goals at Lemon International right now. One is that all of our 430 kids will be sponsored we have four different academies, and uh, we're focusing sponsorship this morning on the Lima, on the, sorry, the Limon Academy, the Green Limon Academy. Um, four academies, Limon was the first one, and then Lima, Mandarina, and Toronja. They, they all have uh, citrus fruit names, kind of going along with the theme of lemonade and la limonada. Uh, we want all, all 430 of our kids to be fully sponsored. Uh, but we also would like to build more academies. We'd like to build as many as 10 academies, one in each major neighborhood in La Limonada, so that kids can attend academy close to where they live. They don't have to cross gang boundaries or have to travel too far to get to an academy. And that way the teachers and psychologists and chaplain can work right there in their neighborhood. One of my favorite stories is the story of Abby. Abby actually was a student and a sponsored child in the Limon Academy 10, 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, she grew up in the Limon Academy uh, she graduated from high school and then went into the scholars program and we helped her to get into high school and college and get a teaching degree. And now she came back and she's a teacher back to the Limon Academy. Uh, it's, it's really an example of generational change and impact. You see one child, but multiplying that. Nobody ever goes back to La Limonada once they leave. But she made the choice to go back in and to teach the same kids or experiencing the same things that she did as a child. 
So it's an exciting story of, of generational change and the impact of sponsorship. But now back to our story. Much like our task eliminating international, the disciples understand the task of feeding the 5,000 is way too big for them to tackle on their own. That there's no way they can figure this out or get this done on their own strength. Have you ever come to a realization like this in your faith? That our faith isn't primarily here to make us comfortable, but it's actually to make us radically uncomfortable. There's an inopportune time, an interrupted peace. It's an inconvenient responsibility that Jesus challenged them with. And it was inadequate provision. They just didn't have enough. They didn't have enough bread. They didn't have enough money to buy it. Uh, they really just didn't have enough to, to, to help in the situation. A friend of mine uh, had some, some really serious health issues recently, and he was in the hospital actually for, for months. And he went through a number of really serious surgeries, almost, almost lost his life a couple times. And people would visit him and encourage him with really good intentions. They'd say things like, God never gives us more than we can bear. As I talked with him after he had healed and come out of the hospital, he we kind of laughed about what a, what a funny thing that is. He, he actually said his response when people would tell him that was actually, God often gives us more than we can bear. There's a reason for that. God wants us to grow. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to de- depend, on him. That's, depend on him. That's precisely how we grow, is because he gives us more than we can bear. And we see how Jesus works in the disciples' lives here. Back to our story in verse 38. Uh, Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they went out, they said, we have five and two fish. And John, in, in, the, in the book of John, adds a little bit more to this story. He brings the owner of the sack lunch in and lets us know who, who he was. John's account, uh, in John 6, 8-9, says, Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? I wonder if the phrase inadequate provision even does justice to this situation. There's more than 5,000 people sitting all day. They're tired. They're hungry. It would take more than $30,000 to feed them all. And one disciple finds one boy who happens to have something like a large fries and two chicken nuggets. Like, it just, it just wasn't even close to enough. The, the dreams that God has for you are impossible to fulfill without God. The dreams God has for your family are impossible to fulfill without God. The dreams God has for Journey Church are impossible to fulfill without God. It can't be done without him. And that's actually a good thing. God's placed an impossible task before us, and that's right where it needs to be. It's something that is absolutely and utterly impossible without God's provision. It's an impossible task. It's one thing for us to look at the disciples who'd already seen Jesus do many miracles, and and maybe they thought, well, Jesus could do something with this lunch. But, but to the boy, this was no small offering. This, this was his lunch. This was his food for the day. When was the last time you had to give up your lunch for a plan that you didn't even know would work or not? And this is where faith enters the story. Let's be clear. Faith doesn't creep into this story in the absence of our questions or doubts or fears or feelings of inadequacy. Actually, faith steps in right in the middle of it all. And sometimes God calls us to give up something that might seem small to others, but it's significant, it's, it's valuable to us, and he uses that as part of his miracle. Did you know that Andrew had an idea, maybe even had faith, but, but there was doubt mixed in there too? But how far would this go among so many, is what he asks. How, how often do we say, but how could this happen? God, I don't understand what you're doing. How often do our doubts stand in the way of when God is doing something awesome, some, some impossible task he wants to do through us to help someone else? It's not the size of our offering that matters. 
It's who you are entrusting your offering to that makes a difference. We entrust our little to the God who multiplies it and uses it to bless many. Verse 39 says, Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples and distributed to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Here's where we see the common thread between the story of Nicholas of Myra that we saw earlier and the story of Jesus and his feeding of the 5,000 and in our stories as well. Did you notice all those obstacles to the disciples' faith? If you're paying close attention, you may have already noticed that the first letter of each of the points of my message this morning started with the letter I. And when it really comes down to it, isn't that ultimately the reason we seek comfort? We want to be comfortable. We want a comfortable home. We want a comfortable car. We want a comfortable neighborhood. We want a comfortable retirement. We want a comfortable school for our kids. But it really comes down to I, to what I want instead of what God wants. So let me ask you this. If you've ever had your heart broken about children in need uh, that we've been making you aware of this Christmas, what's the step of faith that God has called you to take today? Uh, Maybe you're not a believer. Maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe you're just coming to check it out. Maybe you're even watching online. Um, Maybe this is is new to you and, and you don't understand it all and you can't figure it all out, but maybe God's calling you to take a step of faith too. What's the step of faith God has called you to take today? How is he calling you to be generous? How is he calling you to, to make a step forward before you even know the rest of the way, before you even know how he's going to provide? If God's calling you to sponsor a child, I'd like to show you a video of the difference that sponsorship makes. Yo soy Dulce, tengo ocho años, vivo en la limonada y esta es mi historia. En mi casa hago mis tareas y mi mamá me dice que puedo salir un rato a jugar con mi hermano. Saltamos cuerda, le hacemos cosquillas a mi hermano pequeño, contamos chistes. La limonada es one of the biggest slums, actually the bigger one in Guatemala, and it's in the city. It has um, nearly 60,000 people and there are different barrios, we call them neighborhoods. Each one of these barrios is controlled by a different gang and kids as young as seven are being recruited to get into the gangs. It is a very hard life. It's not a life a child should have. Our ministry in Guatemala and especially in La Limonada is to prevent children from getting into gangs or not having a future. The academies create opportunities for the children in a very holistic way. Siento de que soy una estudiante mejor porque ahí me ayudan con mis tareas y también las maestras me comprenden cada vez que yo les hablo. Yo conocí a Dios en la academia, me enseñaron sobre la Biblia, de que es una palabra de Dios, 
y de que también lleva muchas cosas buenas y mucho más. The academies are able to help the children through the sponsors. Child sponsorship is so important, not just because of the money they provide for the academies to exist, but because of the relationship with the children and with the families. Recibir una carta de mis padrinos se siente de que nunca me van a olvidar. Me siento muy alejada de ellos, pero en verdad no porque ellos me tienen en su corazón y yo siempre los tengo en mi corazón y nunca me olvido de ellos. Child sponsorships make the children dreams possible and there are so many children here that need that hope. They need not just to be in the academies, but they need to feel their love by someone who loves them like the sponsors do. Praise God. Praise God. Let's just review the Skinny Santa Challenge together. Number one is to share Skinny. Share the story of Skinny Santa with your family. Talk about it. Continue to encourage them. Now, number two is Go Skinny. Uh, go skinny on gifts for each other so that you can help a child in need. Obviously, we're through Christmas, but uh, the most important way is continuing to make this a practice of your life. Uh, starting, if you, if you do New Year's resolutions, it's a great way to resolve uh, to live skinny. Um, if you are among those who've had your heartstrings tugged through the series, would you consider living skinny on an ongoing basis uh, in terms of your time and or your finances to, to help a child in need on an ongoing basis? Maybe God's calling you to help with tutoring or, or mentoring in a school. Maybe it's adoption or foster care. Maybe it's caring for young mothers through ministries like Assurance. Maybe it's caring for countries that are hurting in, in, in moments of crises through AIDS, through disaster and emergency services. Um, maybe God's stirring your heart to stay after the service today and to get involved with child sponsorship through Lemonade. Uh, we can certainly always use more prayer partners too. We'd love to sign, up, uh, sign you up at our booth out in the lobby after the church, is, after service is over. But let's remember that the reason that we give so generously is not merely because we, we see a need but because God has given so generously to us already through his son, Jesus Christ. If the only reason we celebrated Christmas was for the gifts and the big meal, then our celebration is over. But our hope endures because of God's love through Jesus. So what is it that's holding you back today? And what step of faith is God calling you to take today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for this morning, the opportunity to share together. Lord, I thank you for what you've already done. Thank you for the generosity that's already been poured out over the last few weeks um, through this church for so many ministries and, and especially for Lemonade International, Lord. We thank you for the calling you've given us to serve and we thank you for so many godly men and women um, who support and come behind and encourage um, to make this ministry possible. Father, we, we thank you for the call to action. We thank you for the fact that you, you can provide, you can you can do any miracle, and yet in so many cases, you wait for us to respond. You, you want to act through us, and you invite us into a faith journey with you, and we thank you for that. Um, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know your son Jesus, they would not leave today before taking that step of faith and starting the greatest journey of their life, that they'd seek and, and talk to somebody this morning uh, so that they could make that step of faith beginning their faith with, with your son, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that um, it, for the rest of us that you have already called, Lord, I pray that you would 
um, work in our hearts and continue to create spirits of, of generosity and kindness and care for the hurting world around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.